Hello, my fellow fallible humans. This is the Red Roof Recovery Show, a program to soften the path of recovery from substance and behavioral addictions. I want to thank my friend, my mentor, Russell Allen Scott, for writing this beautiful piece of music. It's called Greatest Bravery, and it's a perfect theme for this show because it takes great bravery to live with mental health disorders like addiction. And it took me a very long time to be willing to talk publicly about my afflictions. My name is Tanya McIntyre. I'm here with you every week to share my experience around my own recovery from drugs and alcohol. Red Roof Recovery uses a variety of therapy tools to customize addiction recovery. With evidence-based solutions, the latest scientific findings, inclusion, and non-judgment. I created Red Roof Recovery to provide not only a unique program for residential recovery, but also to develop a relapse prevention program. All of these programs are based on the principles of CBT, Cognitive Behavior Therapy, along with lots of other tools of therapy because there are literally hundreds of tools available to help in the recovery from addictions and other mental health disorders. The key, of course, is to find whatever works for you, because we're all different animals, right? What works for me may not work for you, and vice versa. And I think the magic happens when you find something that clicks for you, when you resonate with something, you want to grab onto that and do more of it. As long, of course, is something good for you. I found a number of things that I continue to do on a daily basis to maintain my abstinence from harmful substances and behaviors. Mentorship is a big one. It's become a very important part of my life. My mentors were few and far between during my childhood. In the dozen or so years of school, I had only one good teacher who mentored me. The other adults in my life were not providing very good examples. Quite the contrary. Uh, they were what I came to know as hypocrites. Well, life is full of hypocrites, right? I'm one from time to time, as we are, all are, I think. Uh, what is a hypocrite? Well, that's someone who says one thing, yet does something that contradicts that. A person whose actions don't align with their stated beliefs. Growing up, I was exposed to a family that followed religion to a fault, and yet their life examples were contradictory to what they were preaching every day. Thankfully, I had one good mentor in my 12-plus years of schooling. It was a teacher in grade 10 who reached out to me when I quit school. Because at 15, I thought I knew everything I needed to know. Uh, she became a mentor of mine for the rest of my life. And my father was, thankfully, the exception to the rule of his dysfunctional family. Uh, he was an extraordinary man. He raised me as a single parent while struggling with his own addictions. When my addictions progressed through my early adulthood, I wasn't really thinking a lot about mentorship at that time. I was in my 20s. That's generally a pretty self-serving time of life, at least it was for me. I was sowing my oats on the other side of the country, so to speak. By the time I got married, I was 30 and still had a manageable hold on my progressive addictions. By the time I was 40, I had reached a point where my life was a well-formulated and very well-crafted lie. And when I finally hit my bottom, I checked myself into a 30-day rehab. The common model of recovery at that time was the 12-step program of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. And I resisted that, of course, because of my dysfunctional upbringing around religion. But I was desperate. I had nowhere else to go. So I went. 
And as luck would have it, the person running that rehab was an enlightened soul. He had an open mind to everything. Part of my homework during that month was to read a book by Louise Hay. She was a self-help guru at the time, and Louise Hay became my mentor. Not only during that time, she still is, rest her soul, she passed a few years ago, but thankfully her legacy is still online with Hay House Radio. Other mentorship that I've grown to appreciate is Stoicism. I subscribe to a service called Daily Stoic. It's founded by Ryan Holiday, and I picked up this book and um, not only does it inspire me every day with the wisdom, it's what inspired me to actually write my daily wisdom for my Philosopher Dad book that I'll tell you about at the end of the show. But today's uh, inspirational saying from Stoicism is chasing what can't be done is madness, but the base person is unable to do anything else. And that comes from Marcus Aurelius. Uh, he was a Roman emperor a couple of thousand years ago. And it goes on to say, a dog that's allowed to chase cars will chase cars. A child who is never given any boundaries will become spoiled. An investor without discipline is not an investor, he's a gambler. A mind that isn't in control of itself, that doesn't understand its power to regulate itself, will be jerked around by external events and unquestioned impulses. That can't be how you'd like tomorrow to go. So you must be aware of that. You must put in place training and habits now to replace ignorance and ill-discipline. Only then will you begin to behave and act differently. And that's what CBT, Cognitive Behavior Therapy, is all about. It's about training our brain to serve us in a more helpful way. So Ryan Holiday, who came up with DailyStoic.com, he dedicates his life to the philosophy of great leaders of the past, he recites the wisdom that came from Roman emperors like Marcus Aurelius, who ruled a couple thousand years ago. It is said, actually, that Marcus Aurelius cried when he was told he would be a future emperor. The whole idea apparently scared the bejeebers out of him, because most kings of that day were seemingly terrible people. They were doing horrible things. Marcus was more comfortable in the company of his books. He was very well read. He was certainly, he didn't consider himself a court of a king, for sure. He would have much rather remained a follower than become a leader. But you know what? There are things that scare all of us, right? We all get scared at some point in life. My husband just retired. We're both scared <laughs> a little bit right now. And maybe it's something else. I was uh, intimidated by public speaking for a long time. And then when I came to the stage here in uh, Canada's prettiest town of Godrich, Ontario, and the guys here encouraged me to get on camera to do audio and video. I thought, oh, no, 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 we don't want to have any of that. <laughs> but I felt the fear and I did it anyway. Here we are. Maybe we're scared to quit our jobs and start our own thing. I know a lot of people are doing something else while holding on to their jobs just to hang on to a little bit of security. Maybe we don't want to be the one who steps forward and blows the whistle. Ugh. I was a whistleblower most of my career, and all it ever did was make me unpopular and lose a lot of jobs. Maybe we're reluctant to really go for it because we fear failure and criticism for having that failure, and then we think if we, failure, then if we fail at something, then we, as a result, are a failure. Marcus Aurelius was lucky that he had mentors and advisors who saw his potential and pushed him to his destiny. They didn't let him linger and languish down at the level of his fears. 
They taught him and pushed him to his destiny to be one of the greatest emperors of history. Perhaps it was a good thing that Marcus was scared. It meant that he took the job seriously. It meant he was aware of its magnitude and aware of its risks. It meant he was aware of his own limitations too. But it was an even better thing that he did not let this fear rule him, that his study of philosophy taught him the courage to rise above it, to push ahead and to meet his destiny. So I'm very grateful for the mentors in my life, the people who continue to support and encourage me. My husband, my sister, my brother-in-law, my friends, everyone here at the stage, even you, my listeners, have reached out with encouragement and support. Diane, thank you so much. Thank you all for your encouragement and support. You are an integral part of my recovery journey. Thank you for being here with me every week, spending 30 minutes with me. It means a lot. I have learned that it's okay to be scared. We're all scared. It's normal. Unless, of course, you happen to be a sociopath or a psychopath. But they, too, can have transformations if they're willing to analyze their shortcomings. I guess it's reaching that point that can be a challenge for some. We can choose to be brave, brave like Marcus, brave like all the people who have ever met their destinies, against your will, against your fears. Feel the fear and do it anyway. What is that acronym for fear? False evidence appearing real. I love acronyms. I love acronyms like SMART, self-management and recovery training. When I went in search of an alternative to 12-step programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, when I made a decision to stop being anonymous about my addictions, and I was uh, fearful around the fact that I was a chronic relapser. I was fearful that maybe my next relapse would be my last. I wouldn't come back like, like a lot of my friends. Uh, I love the peer support of AA. I still go to AA meetings. I like some. I don't like others. But I do have friends there, and I was going to a lot of funerals. I was losing a lot of friends. So that's what uh, put me in search of an alternative program for recovery. So I'm grateful to have found a program like SMART, Self-Management and Recovery Training, that has its principles based in cognitive behavior therapy and other tools. I mean, they too explore other avenues of recovery. Things like medically assisted treatment is very important for some people. Uh, mindfulness goes a long way. I'm actually just putting together something now that I can use in my own recovery program, and it's called maintaining motivation. Because when I facilitate recovery meetings, the common thread with people seems to be, okay, I've abstained for a while now. Now I'm having a challenge with maintaining that abstinence, like I did. I was many years in AA, and I was up and down, up and down, chronically relapsing. And being a chronic relapser scared me because I didn't want to die. Even though I had been slowly killing myself for a long time in my addictions, I really did want to live. I wanted to continue to abstain from drugs and alcohol. So I've put together this maintaining motivation program, and I'm going to share it with you now because I've gotten some really good feedback around it. I've uh, put some pillars together for Red Roof Recovery and developing and maintaining the motivation to abstain from harmful substances and behaviors, I think, is the first step. The first step is the steepest. So we learn how to practice persistence, patience, planning. We're learning to manage our thoughts, feelings, moods, emotions, and behaviors. 
And that's where cognitive behavior therapy comes in and a lot of other tools of therapy that you can explore with. Like I said, the key is to keep looking until you find something that resonates with you. So if you set your foundation, you've done the work, whether you're in a 12-step program or another program of recovery, you feel that you're doing the work, you've abstained for a while, but you're still feeling a little bit shaky. You're, you're still having those thoughts, those flashes in your mind that you might be able to get away with just one more hit, one more drink, one more whatever. Well, the good news is that you're not alone. It's normal to get complacent and lose motivation over time. So let me explore a little bit about how to identify those warning signs, what to do to change that current trend when you, once you recognize that thought pattern, and then how to keep it from happening again. The skills and tools that you learn along the way by listening to me drone on about these things, <laughs> it can certainly help prevent you from falling back into past harmful behaviors. The key for me around my addictions was acceptance that you'll hear me talk about a lot, and also understanding addiction. Because I was told for uh, most of my life, because I came from a long line of people who were suffering with addiction, and I was told that there was a genetic component. So I was predisposed to addiction because both of my parents were challenged with addictions and uh, their parents and so on and so on. It goes up the family tree. So I started to delve into understanding addiction because I really didn't fully grasp or want to accept the genetic component of my addictions. So here's what I've been able to find out. Addiction is a complex condition. It comes from a multitude of influences. It affects everyone differently. We take drugs and do behaviors for one of two reasons. It's either to increase pleasure or reduce, eliminate pain, sometimes both. Addiction is definitely an epidemic. We've known that for a long time. It's a global humanitarian crisis at this point. And it's still one of the most stigmatized conditions on the planet. One of the reasons why I decided to start publicly speaking about my afflictions. We also know that addiction is a disorder of cognition. It leads to poor decision-making. Cognitive behavioral therapies are very effective in optimum conditions. That's the key, in optimum conditions. How many of us have optimum conditions? There are medical treatments that are up to 75% effective for addiction treatments. Yeah, but only 10% of people who are addicted have access because of socioeconomic conditions. They don't have optimum conditions. Addiction is a neurological disorder. It affects the reward system of our brain to properly perceive pleasure. So it undermines the ability to make healthy choices. The fundamental funnel of all addictions is the dopamine reward axis. So what is dopamine? Dopamine is a brain chemical. It's responsible for our motivation and it's responsible for our survival. Dopamine teaches us how and where to get things we like and need, and different drugs and different behaviors affect our dopamine differently. Dopamine is measured in something called nanograms per deciliter, so let's not get bogged down with that. Uh, the average person lives within a relative normal state ranging from 40 to 100 nanos, let's call them nanos. 
Uh, so on your worst day, you're around 40. On your best day, you could be ranging around 100. So each successive use of some drugs, not all, some, desensitizes the reward system. And then more and more of the drug is needed to keep you functioning at normal levels of even 50 nanos. So take things like alcohol, marijuana, cocaine. They'll push dopamine levels up to the high hundreds, between five and 900. You get into the more harder stuff like meth, heroin, that kicks you up to 1,100 nanos. That's why just in the U.S. alone, they're seeing 50,000 plus drug overdoses every year. It's growing every year. Addiction is a chronic illness. It's a mental health disorder. But as a society, we continue to treat it as a moral failing instead of a biological vulnerability that can be effectively treated with a combination of therapy and medicine in some cases. Yet we continue to criminalize people for addictions. It's mind-boggling. We seem to be obsessed with punishing people for becoming addicted. Even 12-step programs, they're shame-based. It's all about self-flagellation. You're supposed to be shameful and feel guilty and carry that with you forever. Medically-assisted treatment, it's called MAT, M-A-T, medically-assisted treatment, medication-assisted treatment, can increase dopamine levels to stabilize cravings, which provides the ability to receive effective behavioral therapy and stay in treatment. That's the key. You know, even here in a small place like Huron County, we've got a methadone clinic. People are going for a dose a week and then, you know, it's okay, see ya, see ya next week. There's no aftercare program. So that is not effective. For people to stay in treatment, they need to level those dopamine levels, and that takes a combination of medication and therapy, ongoing therapy, preferably daily. So lack of dopamine is creating cravings and urges. So a lot of people are on the fence about what's a craving, what's an urge. I think a craving is a thought. The urge is a manifestation, physical manifestation. Regardless, though, the lack of dopamine is going to kick up both. It's going to kick up urges and cravings. And then we go into survival mode. And then that leads to primal action. That's why we hear of people who are severely addicted stealing from grandma. They're in survival mode. They're taking primal actions. So if we can decrease the cravings, people are going to have fewer lapses and relapses. And then, of course, we've got decision fatigue on top of that. It's a huge factor as the day progresses. You know, people can be all pumped up when they get their dose of whatever is maintaining them on this level of dopamine. But then as the day progresses, it's wearing off. And they've said no to taking another hit. How many times? And by the end of the day, they're so tired, decision fatigue sets in. The cravings and urges start to become more prevalent. And then the cycle continues. The more decisions we make in a day, the less likely we're able to make good decisions later in the day. The good news in all of this, I know it sounds a little gloomy and doomy. Sorry about that. We have happiness chemicals. We're just flowing with happiness chemicals. We've got a feel-good pharmacy just flowing around in our brain. It's amazing. Our brain is a chemical organ. All the neurons of our brain communicate with each other by these chemicals. 80 different chemicals in the brain. So we literally possess our own pharmacy of feel-good chemicals. They're at our disposal. The key is to know how to activate them. 
So thinking therapies like CBT can help us train our brain to look for dopamine in the right places. So there are four specific chemicals that I'm going to talk about because they're the four that are most talked about in society. So we've got dopamine, which is the reward chemical. So how can we hike our dopamine levels more naturally? Well, we can complete a task. So even something like rearranging a cabinet can be a task. Doing self-care activities. Oh boy, I cannot stress this enough. I talk about this a lot in recovery circles because we've been told so often that we are selfish just because we are suffering with addictions that the whole self-care concept is foreign. And some people just can't get past the fact that they feel selfish, right? They've internalized this label of being selfish. So making that decision for self-care activities is a hard jump for people to make. So I drone on and on and on about it because it's very important. When I was in rehab, one thing that I did learn from Louise Hay, bless her heart, was the mirror exercise. <laughs> and I know a lot of you will probably be rolling your eyes. If you've heard me talk about this mirror exercise, I do it every day. I love it. But it took me months to be able to look myself in the eyes, in the mirror, put my hand on my heart and say, I love you, Tanya, and you're worth it. And that is a powerful exercise. Not a lot of people can do it. It's hard to look yourself in the eye and say, I love you and you're worth it because we've been told most of our lives that we are not lovable and we are unworthy. So getting to that place where we can look ourselves in the eyes, celebrate our life, say, I love you and you're worth it. Louise Hay was that mentor for me. She said, you are worth it. What you practice grows stronger. You get in front of that mirror and you do it. I've also suggested that people, if you can't look yourself in the, in the eye in the mirror, find a photograph of yourself as a child and stick that photograph on the mirror and then tell that child that you love the child. They're worthy because really you are talking to your inner child when you do that as well. So another way to boost up dopamine levels, eating good food, mmm, yes. And then celebrating little wins. How often have we, you know, I'll talk about unhelpful thinking patterns in some epi episodes of the Red Roof Recovery Show about how there are 10 most common, what we call cognitive distortions. And celebrating those little wins, sometimes we discount things. We discount the positives and we concentrate on the negatives. So we'll have one good thing happen to us, but we'll just keep all the focus on the negative thing that happened to us, discounting the positive. It happens to all of us. So celebrating little wins is really important. And that doesn't make you be full of yourself. That makes you celebrating little wins because you're lovable and worthy. Oxytocin is the other chemical I wanted to talk about because that's called the love hormone. And I think when we're activating all of these four major hormones that I'm going to talk about, uh, they all kind of work together. They're all in concert. So the love hormone can be boosted playing with animals, playing with a baby, holding hands, hugging your family, hugging anybody. You can even hug yourself and giving compliments. And then we have serotonin. That's the mood stabilizer. And you can boost the levels of serotonin by running, exercise in general, swimming, cycling, walking in nature, meditating is a big one. 
I'm a little challenged with the whole meditation thing because I have a short attention span. Um, probably undiagnosed OCD, ADHD, who knows? Uh, the la those labels weren't around when I was going through school. But I have a short attention span. So if you don't tell me what I need to know in three to five minutes, you've lost me. So I go for short meditations, like the sober meditation from KeltyMentalHealth.ca. Uh, Dr. Vo does really good, effective short meditations there. I like it a lot. So fi again, finding what works for you, right? I can't imagine that I'll ever get to a point where I can meditate for an hour, but I'm not dismissing it. I'm going to keep working on it. So the other final um, chemical I want to talk about is endorphins, right? We hear about endorphins all the time. Endorphins are painkillers, natural painkillers. So we can boost endorphins by laughter exercise. Laughter is the best medicine, right? Essential oils, mm, always nice. Watch a comedy. I love watching stand-up comedy, especially. Dark chocolate, yes, sign me up, I'm there. And of course, exercising again. So we have that, uh, those common themes around generating all of those happy chemicals. So it works when we work it, right? You just have to keep working at stuff. Whatever you find that works for you, just keep on doing more of that and developing our critical thinking skills. So SMART has really good exercises that we do in group meetings. Things like the hierarchy of values and the, the cost-benefit analysis, which encourages critical thinking skills, something that we weren't really taught in school. I wasn't, anyway. We have to really examine what, what is the specific reason that we lack motivation. We can't just say, oh, no, I don't feel like doing that. You need to identify the specific problem then you, you do some reasoning and evaluating around it. You come up with some problem solving and then come up with a decision. What, what's the most viable solution for you? So these are exercises that work when you take the time to work them. And our diet is more than what we eat, right? It's also what we're watching, what we're reading, what we're listening to, and it's who we are hanging around with because we do become the company we keep. And it's good to just question everything and keep learning because it's, necess it's, it's a necessary evil, right, to go through these waves. We call it riding the waves of recovery. So adversities and roadblocks are to be expected on your path of recovery in life. And that's what it is. It's literally a path. You're going to come up to some big rocks on the path. Maybe some tree trunks are going to be across the path that you have to get out of your way. These are the obstacles. It's going to be normal. So keep honing your skills to train your brain to serve you better. You want to be building a life so great that you won't want or need to escape from it. So how's that for 30 minutes? Wow, that went fast. Thank you so much for hanging out with me on this episode of the Red Roof Recovery Show. I hope you are inspired to take some positive action and... If you'd like to be a guest on the Red Roof Recovery Show, I would love to hear from you. If you or someone you know is maybe a good candidate for the residential program I offer in Godrich, Canada's prettiest town, I would love to hear from you as well. Redroofrecovery at gmail.com. And as always, my shameless self-promotion of my books, you can get them on amazon.ca and also here at Finchers in the Square of Canada's prettiest town, Godrich, Ontario. So mindful wisdom from my philosopher dad, and then I decided to do 
daily wisdom from my philosopher dad, which was inspired by Ryan Holiday's daily, daily Stoic. Thank you, Ryan. So my daily wisdom from my philosopher dad, some inspiration to guide your days. I set it up like a journal. So every day you have an inspirational message. And my wish is that you are going to spend some time to contemplate the message and then write it down because the power of words is very powerful. And the power of the written word I find is life transformational. You are awesome. Thanks for being here. May the force be with you. And remember, you are the force.